on being a musician. As a musician, my greatest struggle has not been with the audience or with poverty. It has not been with a reluctant muse or addiction. The strange hours, the many miles and the days spent working away in lightless, stinking rooms have not dented my resolve. My main problem has not been with illegal downloaders or dishonest managers or with a greedy and rapacious industry and my own ability to make everything except money. My greatest challenge has been within myself in the ways I have reacted to these situations. My greatest battle has been with my own bitterness and cynicism. There is nothing worse than bitterness. If you lose your love of music, they get you twice. It doesn't matter if you're right or if you were wronged, ripped off and left for dead by your companions at the side of the road. Bitterness will get you nowhere. It will eat you, beat you and leave you washed out and burned up more than anything else ever could. It will lead you to see the world as a rotten place and your friends as enemies. It will sour every breath you take and leave you coughing ash at the walls of your self-made prison. Did somebody take your idea and not give you any credit? Great. You've got another one, right? What are you going to do with it? Lock it in the attic? You should be glad they took it. That means you can move on to the next one. Get out there, keep losing, learn from your mistakes and move on. Remember why you started to play in the first place. And if that was for adulation and a Rolls Royce in a swimming pool, then maybe you fell for the biggest scam of all. Just remember, reward and praise can be as much your enemies as privation and obscurity. Music is a grand tradition. We keep the night out, we sometimes quieten the angry spirits and we breathe hope that we must first breathe ourselves. Nobody said it was easy, but it gets a whole lot more difficult when you're carrying around a big sack load of grudgeful blame and hurt. Remember what music has done for you. All those times a rhythm, a little melody and a few words helped you to understand that you were not alone. You're the crest of a wave, not some lofty pinnacle doomed to tragedy and worship. You're not there to have your ass kissed like a splinter off the deity or to be kicked around like a dog. Ego trips are horrible and inevitable. Be part of the mock and mire. Spread your grateful arms and pour it out. Remember the song that played when you fell in love. Remember when you were so damn angry and when music turned that rage into a dance and a righteous howl that felt so much better than your mumbling, incoherent hurt. This is a noble tradition. I'm glad and honoured to have given back a little of what I got from it. I'm glad to have given a little to someone who might give a little bit back to someone else someday. If you must lose... Lose again, and at least lose gloriously. They don't call it playing for nothing. Grumpy old fuckers don't play, and nobody wants to play with them. Start from the end. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve, and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hi there, Steve. You've just heard an excerpt from the fantastic Playing the Bass with Three Left Hands by today's guest, Will Carruthers. 
Will spoke to us from his home in Berlin. And Ben, it's fair to say we have not had an episode quite like this before. We haven't had anything like it before, have we? Uh, the, the kind of overriding feeling after listening to what we came out with for me was, well, sort of question, what do you want from your musical heroes? Do you want something bland and asinine or do you want something real? And uh, this conversation is something that gives you something in sort of full Technicolor, uh, real focus, doesn't it? It it does. Um, it's jam packed with emotion this episode and 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 uh we've we've talked about it a little bit prior to recording this this intro haven't we and and i think we're both kind of in the same place of um you know being finding will a a real hilarious raconteur but then at the same time there's uh there's an underlying um pathos i think is a word that you used that, that that i would definitely agree with and and also, you know, you it, it, the way that he tells his stories and the way that he kind of carries himself, it encourages you to, it sort of forces you to think about, well, just what do you want out of, out of your creativity, but also what do you want out as a listener from the people that, you, that are making the music and just what are you expecting them to go through because... He goes through an enormous amount, doesn't he? Has been through an enormous amount. He has, and we both, you know, we both read the book a num well a number of times coming to the episode mm. and before even contacting Will. And it's um it's a fantastic read from start to finish. And kind of the conversation that we had with Will very much kind of picks up on the themes and the feeling that the that his story transmits through his book, which is you know the up and down, the the sort of uh, the push and pull and the turmoil of it and the kind of experience of the journey and like you say i think pathos is very much something that kind of comes through and will enjoyed kind of playing with the emotions during the um during the conversation trying to i kind of gets to second guess whether he was giving us the the truth or or something completely different and i think listening back to that i think we both enjoyed that didn't we um he's a really really sharp individual very erudite man and he brings some great stuff into the conversation that's not that's not musically related but is related to um humanity and creativity and it's yeah it, it's fantastic yeah and his personality and, and 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 who he is and his individuality i think is the word that uh i've, I've come back to a, a couple of times yeah the book is incredible and there's a link to it in the show notes and um if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't read this book um well i would strongly encourage it it is possibly the best music biog that uh, uh, biography that I, or memoir i should say that i've ever read um and I don't, I don't like to do those sort of superlative things too often, but it, it really stands out as a as a incredibly honest um, portrayal of, of of what he went through, and you know, equal parts hilarious and tragic. And yeah, yeah, I, I second that, mate. And 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 just read the quality of the writing because it's not just about yeah. the, the beauty of the story and how it's told. It's the you know, it's brilliantly written. Yeah, he should be encouraged to do more because it's <laughs> he absolutely should, fantastic. He should, he should. His his language and as you'll hear in the episode, his the, the, his language is fantastic. Um, 
Yeah, well, I guess there's not too much more to say, and it is it is a long episode, and we've had uh, we've already heard from Will, so we'll, we'll we'll get into the interview shortly. At the bottom of the uh, show notes is a, a a link to Will's Patreon page, um, which is one of the ways in which he's uh, sustaining himself and able to remain uh, a creative person. So, um, if you're able to um, support Will in that way, I think that would be fantastic. Um, thanks to Will for coming on the show and for being such a a, a, a fantastic guest. Um, we have left in the kind of setting up of the episode at the beginning because I think it, it, we both kind of agreed, didn't we, that it helps to, uh, to place the listener in the same a- atmosphere that we found ourselves being placed in for, yeah, it, for, it for the interview with Will. It will transmit you to over to be sitting in, uh, in Will's flat in the middle of Berlin for sure. Yeah, with his deer stalker hat on. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> well yeah well let's go to that now this is episode 37 of songs from a padded envelope wait let me get my vodka wait Wait. okay yeah 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 all right okay Okay. Uh, well, thanks for doing this. Will, can we kick off, please, with you introducing yourself and the track that people are going to hear at the end of the show? I'm starting now. Go. Oh. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's the one. Technology. <laughs> uh, I'm Will Carruthers, or I was Will Carruthers at the start of this year. I'm not quite sure who I am at the moment, but we prevail. And... Uh, the song you'll hear, what did I used to do? Am I supposed to say that? I was a bass player for a long time. I sometimes write books. I like painting clouds. I'm a big fan of otters. Uh, poffins, I like a lot. Uh, what else is about it, really? A bit of poetry now and again. A bit of building. Whatever you need, really. And the track you're going to hear at the end of this podcast, if we make it to the end and I don't fall off my seat or go mad, is... Uh, <laughs> Ode to Space Hassle by the Brian Jonestown Massacre. It's an unreleased classic. Nobody knows why it wasn't number one. Do they have number ones now? They do. They give they give them away. They give them away in cereal boxes and stuff. That's a sure sign that we're old, right? It's like, oh, do they still have pop music? Well, Will, thanks for coming on the podcast and for sharing an unreleased uh, Brian's Jones, Brian Jonestown's Massacre track. It's fair to say that you're most associated with Spaceman 3 and Spiritualized, but can we start with you telling us a bit about how getting involved, how you got involved with uh, Brian Jonestown Massacre and share a bit of the story uh, of the demo? How did I get involved with the Brian Jonestown Massacre? Uh, a series of bad choices and, and misadventure led me led me into the arms of that particularly disreputable bunch of characters. 
who I still call friends, <laughs> incidentally. Uh, <laughs> I was a Spectrum tour. I think I met, no, I met Ricky. Ricky came to rugby because Ricky, the guitarist out of Jonestown, was a big fan of Spaceman 3. So he came to rugby. So I met him in like the mid-90s at some point. And he just came over for like a holiday, on holiday to rugby, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm like my Spain's not very fucking far away. Do you know what I mean? We just talk on the phone. Anyway, he came to rugby on holiday. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh by it because I'll get in trouble probably again. So, yeah, he came to rugby on So I met Ricky there and then... I was touring with Spectrum a few years later in the States and I met Anton and Frankie and Rob. And the first time I met Anton, I threatened to uh, shoot him with a longbow, which was in like not the most polite greeting, I suppose. Oh, you know, but there was a re- there was a reason. I wasn't just like threatening to shoot him with a fucking longbow. It was it was after, shortly after I'd made my longbow that, with which I was going to wreak my terrible revenge on the world. And uh, Anton was filming a show we did in Philadelphia, a Spectrum show we were playing with the BRMC. And he was filming it, and I didn't know him. Right? He was just a mate of Ricky's as far as I knew. Do you know what I, mean? I, didn't, I hadn't heard of the Jonestown at that point. And he was filming, filming us, and I was like, mate, I said, if this film comes out and I don't get fucking paid, I said, I haven't got a lawyer. I said, but I have got a longbow and I'll fucking find you and I'll put one in your leg. (laughs) (laughs) And he looked at me, right? And he was just like, fair enough. Yes, it was was one of those, like a lot of people you say that to, they really react badly to it. People are are sensitive, haven't they? But he he was just like, "Mm, whatever shoot me with a fucking longbow then. <laughs> and then Ricky, on the way out from the show, I said, I feel really bad. I said, I threatened to shoot your mate with a longbow if you fucking rip me off. <laughs> and, Rick, and Ricky was laughing, right? He was like, oh, fuck, man. He says, that's classic. He says, Anton's always threatening to shoot people. I was like, what? What? <laughs> He's got a gun? <laughs> the new empire <laughs> against the old, right? <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so yeah, after that, and I think he kind of he, he kind of warmed to me after that for some reason because we're both peculiar characters, I suppose. So you know, and then we just gradually became friends, and uh, they asked me to support them. <laughs> I, <ended up, laughs> I mean, it's, honestly, I could tell you the rest of it, but I probably shouldn't. They asked me to support them, so I ended up supporting them with my acoustic guitar, right? <laughs> Just me singing songs before the Jonestown on their boss. So I kind of got on, we were all mates, and it was just like a good laugh. And I was like an easy support act for them and probably largely dissatisfactory for the audience who were, <laughs> who were looking to see the rock <laughs> wild man go crazy, do you know what I mean? Because it was just after Dick. So, you know, but, you know, I'm a fairly rambunctious character I can deal with those uh, gobshites down the front you just fucking point them out don't you <laughs> just like you mate you're not in the crowd you're a fucking individual and I can see your face 
<laughs> the anonymity of the crowd. It's like, yeah, yeah. And I've got a long, well, I did have a long bow. I've retired now. Do you know what I mean? I'm not in the music business anymore, so I don't need a long bow. Really? <laughs> are, are you officially retired then, Will? Am I officially? I've, I don't play anymore. I can't. My ears are frazzled. Did I answer the Jonestown question? I've realised that sometimes I, I go off on these tangents so far that I don't actually answer the question. Did I answer? Did I no, go? Right? I, mean, I just rambled on in a vaguely amusing way. Right? That's, that's what you're paying me for, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Got, oh yeah i've got a fucking long <laughs> <way now. laughs> i did <laughs> the uh was the demo like um recorded when you first got involved or was there a, a bit of other recording before that where, where did, you're singing, singing yeah, as well, right? delightful golden virginia voice yeah, yeah. sponsored by golden virginia <laughs> Do you think if I mention Golden Gold Virginia enough in this podcast, they'll send me some free tobacco? I doubt it. I'm <laughs> happy, to take, yeah. happy to take that <laughs> chance. Yeah, yeah. A very small <laughs> amount. <laughs> I'll, sm- I'll smoke it before breakfast. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, well, the song, yes, the song. The song we were recording in Berlin, actually, it was the first time. So I went off and did that, and then I played bass for him. I played bass for him after I'd done the thing. I filled in for Colin, who was the bass player, who was off getting married, and then Anton wanted me to play bass. So I played bass for a European tour of theirs. And after that, it was like, all right, see you later. And Anton invited me to come to Berlin, which is one of the reasons I ended up in Berlin. So I came here and we were just recording at the Funk House, which is the old DDR uh, recording facility on the edge of town. So me and him would go out there and just me and him really for like weeks and roam the corridors, battered on fucking ecstasy. (laughs) What's your target audience here? Is there any subjects that might be off limits? I don't think so. No. <laughs> I like the police. I do. Just don't hear, don't hear me. Don't hear me anymore. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we recorded it during those sessions, you know. And, uh, yeah, it was good. And then I came back and I ended up living here. So, yeah, it's all right, you know. It's not too bad. I found it tolerant and you know, nobody hit me too often <laughs> how much music came out of those sessions will how much music we made he started i mean he was at a bit of a low point really <clears throat> in some ways health wise and that song was kind of funny because one day he said i've actually like come on let's go to the studio let's just go to the fucking studio and do some recording and he was kind of reluctant around that point and he'd, he'd not long been in Berlin either, do you know what I mean? It was just after Dig and all that shite, so it was... Uh... But then one day he's like, I've written you a song. I've written a song about you, and you've got to sing it. And I was just like, I'm a fucking bass player. What do you want me to sing it for? So, you know, yeah, well, he's a good lad, Anton, really. It must have been a really interesting time to get involved with uh, Jonestown because of Dig, because Dig really 
it, it raised their profile massively, didn't? And I don't know how helpful it if it was a hundred percent helpful because some of the some of the films quite tough, isn't it? And so uh, it must have been kind of uh, what was the atmosphere like in the in in the in the Jonestown camp? Do you know? I, I mean, I think it's the devil's bargain, isn't it? Because you make that film and it makes you. So all of a sudden you're playing bigger gigs and you're getting bigger gigs. But half the people that are there to see you don't give a fuck about the music. They just want some fucking circus sideshow. Do you know what I mean? But I think now, after after that's all calmed down, I think it did them good in the end. But at, the, at that time it was like, you know, you can be famous for the wrong reasons, can't you? You know, and he, I mean, he's he's a prodigious artist. He's putting out loads of records, regardless of what his personality is or what you think about him as a person or how entertaining you might find it. Do you know, it's he's a, he's a prodigious artist. So I don't know. Is that does that attitude very, fit very much with you in terms of similarity, in terms of making and creating stuff? Do you come from the same sort I of place? I admire people that have managed to focus on on making things. Do you know what I mean? I'm making records or making pictures or writing books or whatever. Just people who managed to focus on that. And I think his focus wasn't that. I mean, he's an unusual character. He is an unusual character. But you know, I never really got in this business to hang out with fucking accountants. No offense to accountants. Like you know, I could probably do with a good one. But you know. It's, it goes with the territory. There's a lot of odd people. And, and some people, I think, are drawn to the spectacle of rock and roll, of music. And I, and I was, to a degree, like, who doesn't love the Stooges? Who doesn't love the fact that Iggy's such a fucking freak? But it's that was intrinsic with the music, with the Stooges. And I think with Anton, I mean, I think, you know, he, he just likes making records. He likes making records and going out and playing gigs. That's what he likes doing. And, you know, his problems with other people and with the world are things that he's overcome in order to do that, I feel. And I admire him for that, really. Do you know, and I think Berlin was good for him, you know, in that respect. I think the healthcare system is better here. And, you know, he's been productive since he's been here. You know, he stopped drinking, stopped getting wasted, and you know, I'm, I'm glad he's, you know, I'm glad he's not dead. <laughs> you know, really. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it is to be admired if you can find a way through. Yeah. And hold on to your art. Something to do, isn't hippie, it? you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it is, and and it's all, that. Makes all winter nights fly. <laughs> Has, hasn't it been a long fucking winter how long is this winter january went on for about three months after at one point i was like time has become syrupy i've never i've never experienced syrupy time before you know, i try to i try to appreciate it as just an onlooker I, I try i have that kind of i'm a bystander at my own life attitude when things get weird and just like oh, this will make a good chapter to things again, I've got. I think people have got no idea how weird they're getting. I don't think I've got any idea how weird I'm getting. Do you know what I mean? I saw. I, I bumped into somebody in the street outside. I was walking. I was like, "Oh my god, a person! I'll have a conversation." Do you know what I mean? Face to face, like we used to do. 
And I was like, yeah. how do you know? How do you know if you've gone mad? If you're living by yourself, who's going to tell you? I mean, I says, I I might think it's perfectly normal to have a bathtub full of cooked spaghetti. And they looked, and they looked at me, right? Like he's got a bath full of fucking spaghetti. And I was like, no, I haven't, I haven't got a bath. It was a joke. But you know, it's that perspective thing, isn't it? Occasion, I lack. I think if you if you can kind of occupy your mind sitting in a room, which most creative people can do. You know, it helps. I got, although, you know, a lot of my mates now that you, you can see it wearing on them. Do you know? No, I just think it's so. I think it's so weird that we're we're living in this through this majorly historical time. You know, like if, and we don't really know. We don't really know. Everything's up in the air. We don't really know how it's going to fall down, do we? Or how people are going to look back? <laughs> how people are going to look back and see this period of time? How we're going to look back and see it, mm. see it ourselves. We've both met, both me and Steve have got yeah. fairly young kids. You know how our how our kids are going to kind of look back and experience that. I mean, it just feels ah, it's the strangest fucking time, isn't it? Really, you know. The kids, the kids are just all by everybody. You know, you see the kids here, and it's, it's the adults it's getting to. So like, it's people, it's like people my age. Do you know, what I mean? you know, like like me, I'm like fuck. This could be my last vaguely hot year. And I'm spending it in fucking isolation. I could be dead. <laughs> this, this could be this could be the run up to my takeoff ramp into the fucking heavens or or somewhere further south. And you know, <laughs> it's that. It's the feeling that there's not much time left, and I'm wasting it doing this bollocks. Do you know, what I mean? I was looking at the wall, mm-hmm. thinking, shall I have a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> It's the, the absurdity of it. It's what, that's what gets you through. I swear to God, it's just like well, everybody who's read my book, they were just like, "Your book's so funny, Will. It's so funny." And I was like, "Yeah, it's really difficult to get the laughs out of slaughterhouses, teenage IV drug abuse, and accidental hangings." And then the guy goes, "Ooh, ooh, ooh maybe it isn't funny." And I'm like, yeah, "But it is, isn't it? It is funny. It's ridiculous, absurd." It's for. It is very funny, but there's also a lot of really beautiful writing in there. And one of the one of the in the penultimate chapter, with the mm. thoughts on being a musician, because it's kind of leading on from what we've just been talking about. And you kind of con- you condense some pretty hard truths through that beautiful writing, as you do throughout the book. Thank you. How quickly or easily did that penultimate chapter fall into place? Because Ben and I both really love the book. But that chapter landed really pretty solidly for both. That, I think that chapter landed well with a lot of people. And to be honest, like, I was like, I'm going to need to bolt a chapter on at the end here so this book's going to sell. People love a fucking happy ending, don't they? So I was just like, fuck, what am I going to make up that people will think is a happy ending? So I completely made all that. It's all rubbish, that last <laughs> chapter. I don't believe a fucking word of it. Barlets. What, what did I want to say in that last chapter? What was it? It was just like, oh, it's all worthwhile. Music is special and magical, and I'm glad to have given something to people that they might then give on to somebody else. I don't believe a fucking word of it. Complete rubbish. People believe anything. <laughs> Fake news. 
where'd i been there's a funny story leading up to that book actually because it was a funny it was a funny story leading out of that book as well just like if only somebody would publish them what happened let me, let me try and rack my fractured memory it was um where would i be i went for a long walk right i went for a long walk oh, <laughs> it was a fucking long walk, right? I was I walked Pembrokeshire, you know the Pembrokeshire fucking coastal path. I'd always wanted to walk and I was like, I'm gonna go and do it. I've got like seventy quid or something. I was in Berlin and I was like, I'm gonna do it. And the weather had been shit and I'm like, well, I'll buy a cheap ten, cheap one man ten. And I'm just gonna do it. So I'm just like, fuck it. Do you know, it's easy to not do things. It's really easy to not do things. I'm like, I've always wanted to do that. I like Pembrokeshire. Fuck, I've done it. Bang. I mean, see my sister down in Bristol. Got a train round to fucking Pembrokeshire. And I got off and I'm at the Saunders foot, right? I'm like, right, I walked all the way up. Fucking, I walked like 150 fucking miles <laughs> along the coast, right? And ended up, this. I'll get to the point eventually. Don't let me get away from the point, right? Because I do, I do ramble. I'm a terrible rambler, right? I oh, know, yeah. So like 150 miles up there, just dusting out. And it was a bit illegal, don't tell the police. I was, a bit, I was like, but I didn't break anything. I tidied up out to myself, do you know what I mean? So I put, 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 along the lovely, lovely walk, I got to Druidston. I got to the Druidston Hotel outside Little Haven. So I did about half of that Pembrokeshire Coastal Path walk. And then I came back and then I went to Italy and I've done a gig, a couple of gigs. My mate Paolo over there booked me a couple of shows. Because my friend Christina, who I didn't, who wasn't my friend at the time, had got in touch with me when I was living in Iceland, doing an interview like this. And she was like, where are you going? And I was like, I don't know where I'm going. I never know where I'm fucking going. I just wander around and hope it's going to be all right. And she was like, come to Croatia. I've got a flat. Yeah, well, no, you can go to an island off the Dalmatian coast and write your book. And I thought, brilliant. So I booked it. <laughs> Does this make any sense? So I made, so I booked the shows in Italy with Paolo in order to get myself cheap over to Croatia. And I got the train up to Trieste and then got the bus down to Zagreb. And I ended up there and wrote the book in her attic because, <laughs> because for some reason I couldn't get onto this remote paradise island, which I always imagined I needed to write a fucking book. So I, I wrote it sitting in a chair with another chair as a desk. <laughs> in two months I just sat up there with red wire and was just like don't bother me don't bother me until I come down looking weird <laughs> and that was that and then I went in, wrote the book there so that chapter yeah yeah I just bolted it on just made it all up none of it's true the only the only true things in that book are the hallucinations Arguably, it's uh, well, it's really easy to write a shite rock memoir, and yours isn't. Yours is yours is a great book, it's full of really <laughs> top quality writing. It's fucking it's, it, it's hilarious, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's everything a book, in between, it's a book nobody in their I mean, right mind would want to write. Nobody would want people to know about the things that I talk about in that book. Do you know what I mean? You got me into all sorts of trouble. That's why I paint clouds now. Don't forget, right? No more, too much trouble. Paint clouds. Who can you offend with a cloud? Some some people. 
because some people are like, oh, it looks like a pig. And some people are like, oh, no, it doesn't. It looks like a dolphin. And then it's a fight. <laughs> and then you're just like, fuck's sake, it's a cloud. Do you know what I, mean? I think we're, we're going to take you back in time, Will. So read about you getting your first guitar when you were 16. What do you remember about that instrument and about how you felt about getting to grips with playing it? Was, it? it was a Gibson Les Paul copy, and it was called an Eros and Eros, which was kind of sexy. And I was only really learning the guitar because I wanted to get off with girls. Do you know what I mean? That was the only reason, because I'd been a BMXer and a skateboarder, but at a certain point, the girls were like, not interested. So it was basically just to get off with girls. That's why I learned the guitar. And I played Batman. I played the Batman theme on my guitar, on my Eros. And I bought it from this, like, heavy metal gal. I went around her house and she was like, Susie Quattro, she was a bit like Susie Quattro, which I kind of like the fact that I bought my first guitar from a woman. She was like a biker gal. She sold me this Eros guitar. Here's your naughty Eros guitar. <laughs> <laughs> it was all a bit saucy, do you know what I mean? <laughs> which was exactly what I wanted. <laughs> I was just like, make my life more fucking saucy, please. You know I, mean? I mean, I'm in suburbia and I'm bored out of my brains. So, you know. I needed a bit of that. So you, like, does, doesn't that sound shallow? No, it sounds like a teenage boy <laughs> discovering playing rock music. I know, and that was it. And then we had there was a fellow called Simon Bottomley at our school who could actually play the guitar, and he could play like all the New Order songs. So we went around his house to learn a song because you know you're not going to get off of any girls unless you learn a fucking song, are you? So time to do the work, do you know? Unfortunately, <laughs> make the nest. <laughs> so, yeah, I learned to play a uh, pretty vacant Sex Pistols. I think that was, but I couldn't play it, so I just played Batman. <laughs> for, for like days and days. And neighbours were just like, oh, will you ever stop playing that? So it was, it was basically just me playing Batman. And masturbating, you know, dream, dreaming, <laughs> dreaming of the, of, the, of the future. It's like now. It's, it's always identical to lockdown. Those are my formative years as a fucking musician. Just trying to decide when to take a break and have a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Skills for life. So yeah. I wish I could be more. I wish I could be more poetic about it. But that was it. That was basically it. That that's as deep as it was. And then you know, I just stumbled into into everything else by accident. I was in all them bands by accident. I never had any ambition beyond getting off with girls. And then we was inspired. We just never. We weren't like one of them bands. Like if I had my time again, I'd be in a heavy metal band. That's what. That's where I went wrong. I should have listened to Susie Quattro and I bought the fucking guitar off. <laughs> Rocker. Did you listen to much heavy heavy metal? Did I listen to much heavy metal? I don't know. What's heavy metal? <laughs> that know. time? I don't know. Well, it was like kind of the new wave of British heavy metal around that time, was it? It was. I'm a big fan of the one-armed drummer from Def Leppard. Oh, Rick Allen, yeah. I don't give a fuck about the music, but I just like the fact that he carried on fucking drumming. Total, total wow. respect. I think that's very... Yeah. It's, pug, it's pugnacious. I admire that pugnacious spirit. But heavy metal, yeah. And Lee Dorian. I know Lee Dorian. Is he heavy metal? He was in Napalm Death. That's kind of fucking... 
him out, isn't it? I like Lee. I've had some funny nights with Lee. He's a good lad. They're a great band. They are. They're. They're a great band. Napalm Death. Total respect. And they. And they just keep going. I don't know if there's any original members still, but they just keep trucking Napalm Death. And I love that. Well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, fair fucking play yeah. to them. It's you know, it's, yeah. I, I just like it. like the indie charts back then. It was just, it was just like you looked at them. It was like what a weird mixture of shit indie was. Do you know what I mean? It was just like Kylie Minogue, Napalm Death. <laughs> You know, flock, flocks of pink Indians, fucking crass, <laughs> the wedding present, you know, the Smiths. It was just, it was, it was absurd. And what did it turn into? What did indie turn into? Uh, back, back on New Labour again. <laughs> new Labour. New Labour, new, new danger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't care about politics anymore. I don't care about anything. I only care about clouds, fucking otters. Just look at clouds. I'm just like, it's all fucked anyway. Where the ocean's full of plastic. The fucking glaciers are melting. Do you know what I mean? This is like, uh Now we can't even go to the park. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that? Do you like Kurt Vonnegut? I really like Kurt Vonnegut. Do you know there's, there's been one of his books. And the statue wants to be like that, lying on the ground. Ice Nine, what was that fucking book called? I can't remember, my, my memory's fried. Bakunin, the statue pointing at the sky, accusing finger at the sky. Why did you make us like this? Why did you make us like this? Sorry, <laughs> I've got a bit tired there. I'll, rock, I'll knock off a cheerful chat for just to, to close, close us off. <laughs> I want to get too philosophical now. It's the first appearance of Vonnegut in our podcast, and, and, and it's very welcome. I love fucking Vonnegut. What have I got? Do you know what? Let's do some bibliomancy. Let's do a bit of bibliomancy. I haven't got many books because I've been on the road four years since I got evicted from Berlin. As part of my glamorous career as an author, that's what happened. Like one month after the book came out, I got evicted, <laughs> which was quite glamorous. Okay, terror, grief, and desolation. Hop, top, throp, foe. Come to every earthling nation. Hop, top, throp, foe. Earth eat fire. Earth wear chains. Hop, top, throw. Break Earth's spirit, spill Earth's brains. It's not very cheerful, is it, really? I was I was hoping for something a bit more jokey, but the Sirens of Titan is pretty good. I'm going to get three chickens. That's my ambition. I've got an ambition, you see. I do have an ambition, and my ambition is to have three chickens, and they will be called Empty Heroics, Low Comedy, and Pointless Death. <laughs> That's my ambition. <laughs> Three chickens. <laughs> because, on the, because on the first page of the Sirens of Titan, right, Kurt Vonnegut says, Mankind, ignorant of the truths that lie within every human being, looked outward, pushed ever outward. What mankind hoped to learn in all its outward push was who was actually in charge of all creation and what all creation was all about. The bounties of space, of infinite outwardness. There were three 
things they found. Empty heroics, low comedy and pointless death. And I like to think that I've got the low comedy end of things fairly well fucking covered. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else can be pointless. Yeah. <laughs> quite enough of that right science fiction they call that science fiction it was in the pulp section you know what i mean it's like some of the most important philosophical work of the 20th century in my opinion not going to argue with that hey ho but he was he was in fucking dresden you know vonnegut lived through dresden he was firebombed in dresden so the fact that he ended up with such a profoundly humanistic viewpoint yeah it's something to be celebrated i think yeah yeah, it's amazing. Do you know what happened to him as well? This is crazy. On the year, he, in, his, in his books, he had this writer called Kilgore Trout, and he used to torment Kilgore Trout. <laughs> he just would put Kilgore Trout into the most awful situations. Kurt Vonnegut gleefully, and he'd admit to it in the book, I am going to torture Kilgore Trout. And... <laughs> And Kilgore Trout, he killed Kilgore Trout in the books at the age of 84. Now, on the very year that his hometown made it officially the year of Kurt Vonnegut, Kurt Vonnegut died at exactly the same age <laughs> as he had killed his fictional author. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? There must be a god. <laughs> Just those little circularities. I'm just like, is that is that a good sign or not? I'm not really sure. <laughs> something, something's watching. Yeah, but does it give a yeah, fuck? It's beautiful. Everybody should read Vonnegut. He's, you know, it, it, have you ever read his letter? He, he wrote a letter. There's, you know that letters of note website. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's the there's the letter that he wrote home to his father after he was released from the prisoner of war camp he was in. And in that letter is almost all of his worldview that you get through the books. He was just like, I was in the army and then this lot shot at me and then this lot shot at me and then this lot shot at me. He was shot at by the fucking British. He was shot at by the Russians because he was in like a prisoner of war camp and he was put in Dresden and it was the worst fucking imaginable shit happened to him and he's like and loads of people died but i didn't and so it fucking goes you know it's just this kind of benevolent baffled kindness <laughs> that, he, that he managed to draw out of that it amazes me always you know profoundly reasonable yeah. <laughs> you know I'm getting maudlin <laughs> people aren't ready for it they've been locked down too long <laughs> they don't need heavy stuff keep it alive let's talk about clouds otters otters are fucking brilliant do you know anything about otters I was in the, I was in the otter uh, otter was my um, set that I was in in the Cubs I was in yeah. <laughs> is that See? what you know about <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to be <laughs> We were destined to meet. <laughs> you were destined. <laughs> is that all you know about otters? Uh, no, I, uh, I think uh, their, sh their shit is called a spraint. That's right, is it? Nice. Yeah, spraint. Otter spraint, it's called, yeah. 
How do you even find otter shit? It's in a river. Isn't it? <laughs> well, it's, it's a sign that the otters are around. Uh, it's on the banks of the. It's called Spraint. Yeah. It sounds like you've been looking for Spraint before, mate. I haven't, but I know somebody that Sprint. did spend some time looking for otter Spraint because they they were being reintroduced to a, a river in North North Wales, and they wanted to check that they were still around. And that was one of the times. What are the characteristics of otter spray? Uh, so that we, we might not mistake it for just any old other <laughs> shit. I swear, my, I swear my knowledge of otter shit kind of runs dry, I'm afraid. <laughs> so I was hoping you were going to say that because now I can just make up things. I think it's otters. purple. I was just checking to see if you were an otter expert. Right? And I'm like, well, actually, otters live to be 5,000 years old. They burrow 40 miles into the earth and they cross the Atlantic Ocean. To breed, the eels do that. Oh, you know. Do you know? Do you know about the breeding cycle of eels? Uh, no. no, no. <laughs> I fear we're about to learn. Ask me a spaceman space three question. They, they actually cross. They actually cross the Atlantic to breed in the Sargasso Sea. All European eels, and they digest their own stomachs on the way. They don't even fucking eat. They they swim across the Atlantic. Go, don't eat, breed, and then all the little ones swim back. How does a little fucking eel cross the Atlantic like that with no stomach? Anyway, these questions don't keep me from sleep. Ask me a spaceman three questions. I don't know if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're the first people I've talked to in like weeks. Can you tell? <laughs> uh, I would definitely commission you to have a wildlife show, Will. Yeah. Oh, do you know what I'm saying? I'd be amazing. Just be like wasted in the fucking woods. Going, oh, there's a bird. Oh, Rambo. <laughs> probably was a bird. I was what? It's a bird, probably. Rambling the Pembrokeshire coastline, discussing the discussing wildlife with a documentary crew. Yeah, brilliant. Give, give me the write me the paycheck. Yeah. Let's do it. Gold. Walking with Will. TV daytime gold. <laughs> I'll even stay You're going to do it as daytime TV. <laughs> I'm totally daytime. I don't understand why I'm not a daytime celebrity. I think I'm funny as fuck. Philip Schofield Maybe and not you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I could be I could be the new Philip Schofield. <laughs> be just like that morning. <laughs> don't talk to me for an hour. <laughs> A channel like that, do you know? I, I just think they should, there's room for that. But I remember talking to this fella. The reason I left England really was not because of politics, it was because of the smoking ban. Because I love smoking, because I owe my beautiful voice to cigarettes. So I was in a bar shortly before that smoking ban. I was talking to a guy, and he was like, I was bemoaning the fact that they were going to ban smoking in the bars. And he was like, Well, I like it because it means that I can go to the pub and not come home smelling of smoke. And I was like, mate, it's not me giving your kids fucking asthma, though, is it? And he was like, how do you know my kid's got asthma? He was like, it's just a wild guess. And I was like, because I, I, I stay in the pub smoking. I'm a good lad. Whereas you drive your car past that school every morning, and that little exhaust pipe be right at them kids' head eye. And their exhaust pipes putting out sulfur dioxide. 
How do I get onto this? This is not very. This is not very cheerful. That's Miss Baseman. Yeah, how do we have? How, do, how the fuck do we navigate our way back to Spaceman Three from here? There, there is no <laughs> way. There's no way back. <laughs> well, you could. There's a. There's a in, inhaling toxins link that we could maybe. Yeah, there's an inhaling toxins link. Yeah, just say no, kids. Okay. <laughs> just say no. Fuck cars. They're a stupid invention. <laughs> That's that covered. You mentioned uh, you mentioned your hometown of rugby earlier, and I'm kind of interested from coming from Ben and I both coming from sort of small towns ourselves, and uh, yeah. so but the, the rugby kind of looms large in your story when you were when you were yes. getting started, and and in fact throughout your kind of music making, uh, how supportive was the scene in rugby and the, the bands that were around? Do you know, I think it was, how supportive was yeah. it? In what way? Well, we've spoken to quite a lot of people where there's a scene that um, allows bands to develop and kind of and encourage one another and sharing kit and sorting out gigs and that kind of DIY spirit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think there was a group, I mean, how many musicians was there when we was like growing up playing in bands? Quite a few, you know, there's like a punk band called the Punk Bands and Garage Punk Band called The Time and Spaceman Free, that thing was going on and then there's the odd few bands. So, And it was supportive, that little lot, you know, we'd borrow equipment from each other and and it was a bit competitive. It, and it got more competitive as Spaceman Three got more famous, do you know what I mean? That kind of changed things a bit, but... I think the scene, the scene in, in any small town is probably about the same, you know, regardless of whether anybody ever, you know, becomes more well-known or whatever you want to call it. It's like, you know, everybody's just mocking in and nobody's expecting to make any money. It's just a bit of fun, you know. Everybody's, you know, somebody needs to borrow an amp, you know, like, yeah, borrow the amp. We certainly didn't get any help off the uh, off the authorities in any, in any way, shape or form. And quite the opposite. They used to shut us down. You know what I mean? You get a place going, get a little scene going, they're fucking shut it down. So we we kept going in spite of them. We didn't get any help. You know, it was entirely independent. Everybody's doing it for nothing, pretty much. Mocking in, just keeping themselves sane. You know? <laughs> what else is there to do? In in the book, you talk about that moment when you when you went to the Reverberation Club at the Blitz, and you kind of. It sounded sounded like you found you'd sort of like-minded people for the first time in terms of people that chimed with you that you know made sense and uh, things started to because yeah, I, yeah, I was battered on magic mushrooms do you know what I mean I've been out picking magic mushrooms from the old rugby fields where Lewis Carroll used to play rugby do you know what I mean I don't think it's much of a coincidence that Lewis Carroll played rugby on those same mushroom fields where I used to go picking. Do you know, what I mean, you really because you read them books and you're like, if you've done mushrooms, you're just like, oh yeah, <laughs> obviously, it makes a lot of sense in that mushroomy kind of way. So yeah, like-minded people. Yeah, it was. There wasn't many of my school friends were as stupid as me. Do you know, I was just hell bent <laughs> on something. Oh, bent on changing something in myself. So, yeah, it, it was more like-minded. You know, listening to the 13th floor elevators makes a lot more sense when you're on mushrooms than listening to, I don't know, Flock of Seagulls or whatever. I mean, I've got nothing against them, do you know what I mean? But it's just 
when I was tripping my face off, I'd rather listen to the elevators. I'm still the case. (laughs) 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 Not that I would ever do anything so foolish now. Perish the thought. What did you think about the kind of the, the reform of the elevators? I went to see him. I was actually at that fucking gig in Austin. How was it? I was actually at that gig in Austin. And I I was sat in Berlin, and that was shortly before I wrote the book as well, shortly before I went and did that really long walk along the Pembrokeshire coast. I've been up to Iceland, which is where I'd got the message from my friend Christina to go to Zagreb and write a book down there. It all sounds very glamorous. It ain't, right? It ain't my life. It's not fucking glamorous. People go, oh, it's so glamorous. I would just say, you try it, mate. Try walking around like an international tramp with like 50p in your pocket and you're just like, what am I doing here? So I went to Austin to see the elevators because I had to. I had to go, and my friend, the Flowers of Hell, they were playing, the Canadian band, I saw they were playing, and I got in touch with Greg, and I got given him a bass line at some point in the past. I was like, Greg, Greg, I see you're playing at Austin. I really, really want to go, and I've got no money whatsoever. <laughs> Will you buy me a ticket? <laughs> and I'll come and play bass for you. <laughs> it was just like a long shot, because I was desperate to go, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. So he, after a bit of cajoling, he was like, oh, right, I'll fucking pay for your ticket. <laughs> so I managed to blag a ticket and I went to Iceland. I had no money at all. I had five handmade books. <laughs> my first book, like a book of jobs, I just handmade these copies of it. And I went through customs in New York and the bloke was, the bloke, customs guy in a way, he pulled me out of the line. He's like, oh, Sherlock, what you got in your bag? Like, it's my back. He's like, you got like the bricks in there or something. I was like, Books. I made books. <laughs> and he got them out, right? He was, sat, he was sat, he was like, let's get a look at your books then. And I'm just like sat there going, it's Sherlock, because I've got my fucking Sherlock Holmes out on. They love that, like, they think you're one of them. <laughs> you kind of Is he a detective? He's an alternative detective. They were like, fucking, he's got all the books out, my homemade books that I'm going to sell. I mean, illegally, probably, you know. So he's looking for his, I'm trying to put him off reading the bad bits. And I'm like, oh, so I'm nudging him when he gets to the bad bit. I'm like, read the nice bits, you know, read the bit at the end. Make it daytime. Make it daytime. You know? But you made it to Austin. I made it to Austin and I saw the thing for elevators and they were great. And I turned up, I didn't have a tent and it rained and there was like snakes and floods and it was biblical. And then Rocky was there, yeah, and, and Tommy Hall, I really went for Tommy Hall. And I felt his presence from about 30 metres away. And I turned and there was like an elderly gentleman with a long beard in a golf cart. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had my Tommy Hall moment. It was brilliant. I'm really glad I went. And, you know, God bless him. I, lo- I love the elevators because they really did. Go through some awful shit. They really did. So, I believe that Rocky was presented with a certificate from the uh, from the from the the Austin authorities after that show, thanking them for their services. I'd be like, I want a fucking apology, and you've got to be on your knees. 
I wouldn't. Yeah. You'd just be like, yeah, thanks a lot, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Tommy Hall was a nightmare, though, because he was, like, really particular about the type of barbecue sauce he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I love that detail on my co- you wrote the most cosmic fucking songs you'll ever hear in your life she's like i ain't doing the show unless you've got my barbecue sauce <laughs> <Great. laughs> more of that please more of that yeah they were they were great oh, you know and just, yeah it was good to see him. it was good to see the elevators one time what about um I just well, just thinking about cosmic bands touring with the Flaming Lips must have been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, the Flaming Lips. I toured with the Flaming Lips, and if you go to my Patreon, we'll call us Patreon.com. Plug, plug, plug. Uh, you can. There is a story about me getting thrown out of their dressing room for saying that I didn't like Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> was, yeah, can imagine. No. <laughs> of all the people to say it to, <laughs> I know. That's why I said it. I couldn't resist it. Because we were doing that show, and I fucking, we were supporting them at Spectrum, and we were doing the Forever Alien stuff, and they were big fans, and we were just like, brilliant. You know, well, yeah, we'll do it for 50 quid. We'll do it just for, for love. So we did it, and it was good. You know, it was a soft bulletin show, and the video worked, and I, and I fairly accurately discon, dis, dis, disconstruct my attitude to uh, Wayne's particular philosophical opinions. And then I went backstage and I might have had a couple of drinks and I was like, Wayne, I really enjoyed the show. It sounds great. The light show is brilliant. It's like being in the future, but nice. And, but why the fuck do you sing White Christmas at the end of it? It just feels like cheap emotional button pushing. Do you know? Because they were doing White Christmas at the end of it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, he didn't take it too. I mean, well, they weren't massive at the time. There wasn't like, Tons of people hanging out backstage, like huffing cocaine and getting off with glamorous international models. It was like five of us in a fucking dirty dressing room in Sheffield with six beers. And he was, but he he took offence. He took offence to the fact that I didn't like Christmas. And he said, "Why don't you like Christmas?" And I was like, "Because it's the first lie we tell children, isn't it? If you're good." you'll get some presents, but it's not true, because if you're rich, you get presents, because a kid up the street from me was a right little because <laughs> his parents were rich. He always got good presents, right? I'm just like, what kind of fucking cockeyed bullshit is this? Right? I know that kid's a little fucker, right? <laughs> but he's got, like, the best shit. So how can that be? Because he's been good, and he was horrible. <laughs> so you're just like, Wayne, it's a, it's, it's a bunch of bullshit. And he had a bit of glitter on his cheek, you know, and he, he was looking disappointed. And I felt bad to say it. And I was just like, I might miss his work for a homeless charity. And after Christmas, you know, that's their busiest time because debt, <coughs> unreasonable expectations, you know, too much sherry. Grandma's gone bendy. Somebody's cracked a racist joke and it's all gone to fucking shit over the Queen's speech, isn't it? I mean, now I look back on those days fondly. You know, after after last Christmas, did you know what I did this Christmas? I watched The Road. Oh, that's not that picture, cheery film. I did a picture and had a fucking banana. That was my Christmas day. Like, I, really, I really long for those days that I didn't enjoy before. I never knew how good they were. So, yeah, anyway, so Wayne, he took, he took it very badly that I said this. And then he threw me out of the dressing room because I didn't like Santa. And on the way out, I was like, 
Father Christmas doesn't exist, why? I hate to break it to you. <laughs> the full stories are my Patreon. And there's a link in the show notes, absolutely. <laughs> no cop. Okay, yeah. No cops, no Wayne coin. No Wayne coin. Lawyer. I think it's a reasonable question. It's, it's all made up. <laughs> Was there, was there anything that didn't make it into your book, Will, that you that you wanted to include? Yeah, yeah. You obviously think you honestly think I'm going to tell you what that is. You, you honestly think I'm going to give you all that dirt? No fucking way. How much are you paying me for this? Uh, you wanted gold from me, not the other <laughs> way around. We'll renegotiate the fee, and I'll tell you what didn't go in the book. <laughs> There's no secrets in that book. There's absolutely no secrets. Loads of taboos, but not all of them but not all of them. And, uh, but there's no secrets, which is quite amazing, really. But yeah, I'm not going to write another book like that, really, because it was a thoroughly un- unpleasant experience in many ways. I'm going to write a nice book about clouds next. And then I'll get on daytime TV. Finally. I'm waiting for that day. Yeah, me too. Like a travel show, like a holiday show. I do a lot of travelling. It'd be fucking brilliant. Can you imagine? People are like, yeah, we're going to sleep in this ditch on the Pembrokeshire coast tonight. <laughs> it looks, it, it, there's not too much rubbish in it. It'd be fine. <laughs> that might be a bird. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, it's a bird or something. <laughs> yeah, na- just nature. Nature, holidays. What do people like? I've got no idea. <laughs> what do people like? <laughs> What are your listeners? What's your demographic? Who are we aiming for? Me, now? you, and Ben. I feel more comfortable if it's just the three it, of us. All it is. <laughs> uh, when, uh, uh, speaking about you, you on film, there's a clip online of a film project with uh, Ula M. Schuppel, who and I and I and I love yeah. the Road to God Knows Where, the Nick Cave film that he made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to watch that mm-hmm. religiously. It's an absolutely brilliant piece of work. Uh, so, uh, uh, what happened to that film? And also, what happened to the Gibson Thunderbird? Uh, well, what happened to the film was somebody who, who controls the purse strings decided it wasn't strictly daytime, so he didn't get funding for it. So, there's just that one really depressing clip of me at a particularly low ebb in my life going to play that one of my last shows, actually. It was when the tinnitus had kind of kicked in and I was realising I couldn't really carry on playing. So I went and played with my friend's band Camera down at SO36. And Uli was, you know, he was really keen on doing it. Uli's idea for the film was like that there was something inherently wrong with me. The reason I'd been in 35 fucking bands was because I couldn't keep one together. So, so I think he wanted to have me psychoanalysed find out what was essentially wrong with me yeah never got made so it's just that little clip and then what was the what was the next question well, part right? of that clip was you packing up the thunderbird and taking oh the uh, thunderbird yeah i flogged it i've just fucking sold it only just which was weird yeah only just yeah it's gone to utah i packed it up and sent it to utah after 30 years 35 bands and 30 years i sent it to utah it was quite emotional i should imagine it was yeah it must work that's why I came back to Berlin, really, to do that. Because I needed to get my teeth fixed, get an apartment, because being on the road is no fun in the middle of a pandemic, let me tell you. 
you know, I, so I swapped my base and I got a base. So I'm not, I was, I was more emotional about it than I tend to get about things. You know, I try, I try not to be too emotional about things because in my line of work, you have to leave a lot of things behind. But that was, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of funny. But it's, I'm glad it's gone, to be honest, and it was the right time to sell it. And the fellow that's got it's a nice guy. So I flogged it to him. That's all packed up and gone, and the money will see me through this fucking pandemic. Do you know what I mean? And actually, weirdly, I'm going to sell the very last note I played on it because I... Uh, <laughs> I recorded the very last note. I thought I've played one note on this thing for 30 years mostly, just one note, probably D or E. I can't even remember which one it was. It doesn't matter, does it? It's probably a bird or something. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, I'm going to sell the very last note. I'm going to make it into an NFT. Oh, that, that's fucking fantastic. Yeah, because I tell you what was funny, right? The biggest paycheck. I mean, I hate to talk about money, but I mean, everybody else does. That's why everybody does everything for, right? It's fucking money. But if you dare to talk about it in relationship to art, you consider kind of tawdry or something. The biggest paycheck I ever got in the music industry was from selling that bass, which is fucking heartbreaking. Kind of. Yeah. Well, in a way, it's kind of, I, I like to think it's just poetic, you know, in a way, because. As I, as I said in that book, I wasn't playing for the money. Joe, you know, I never was. That wasn't what drove me to do it. It would have been nice to have some <laughs> sometimes, but it was really poetic that the biggest paycheck I ever got from music was selling the bass. And uh, so, yeah, I'm going to sell the very last note and see if I can get even more money for the last note than I got for the bass. And then the absurd... Yeah. He had the absurd snail's tail at the end of my miserable career <laughs> might be uh, worthy of a smile. <laughs> Do you think? I think it's, there's something poetic about it. And the last note, I tell you, that last note I played after 30 years' practice on that guitar was quite beautiful. Mm. I, was, I was almost brought to tears by how beautiful that one note was, you know? It's probably the best night I ever played in my entire career. Will, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a total, my total pleasure. joy to meet you and uh, and speak with you. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed it. Can we finish off with you introducing the song that everyone's going to hear now, please? Certainly. This is Ode to Space Hassle by the Brian Jonestown Massacre. And Anton wrote it and he reckons it's about my life but I'm not so sure. And I'm singing my beautiful voice. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> thanks, Will. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Will. <laughs>
Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. (laughs) 